This is the Journal of Ecology podcast. I'm Scott Chamberlain. We have long known that plant species diversity has a strong effect on plant community biomass, or primary production. However, we understand less how genetic diversity within a species influences primary production, and even less how species and genetic diversity interact to influence primary production. Carrie Crawford is a postdoc at Washington University in St. Louis. I recently caught up with Carrie to chat about her research published in the Journal of Ecology. Can you briefly introduce yourself? Yes, I'm Carrie Crawford. I'm a postdoctoral research fellow, and I work with scientists at Washington University in St. Louis and Indiana University. And I'm interested in the consequences of interspecific diversity and plant soil feedbacks. So what problem uh, was your study trying to solve, or what motivated your um, study? Um, We were really motivated by the intersection between the biodiversity ecosystem function literature and the literature on ecological genetics. So we know from the biodiversity ecosystem function literature that local species richness can have consequences for ecosystem processes. So for example, places with high species richness might have increased primary productivity. But more recently from ecological genetics literature, we know that intraspecific variation within a single species can also have important consequences for both populations and communities. Um, In nature, it makes sense that species diversity and genetic diversity could interact in some way. So it seemed like a natural extension to ask how the two levels of biodiversity might might, um, interactively influence primary productivity. Can you describe a bit about the natural history of your, of your uh, particular study system? The Great Lakes sand dunes, they're a primary success- successional ecosystem, which means that it's, it's a starting from a place with no vegetation whatsoever. So during periods of low lake level, there's bare sand, and one species of plant colonizes that, and that species is Ammophila. When it colonizes, it helps trap the sand, which builds up the sand dunes, and it allows other species to colonize the now stabilized sand. So it's a pretty harsh environment. It's got pretty low nutrients and pretty low amounts of available moisture for the plants. So it's kind of scrubby and sparse relative to to other ecosystems like grasslands. Could you briefly describe the approach that you used in your study to, to address your question? Yeah, we used a common garden experiment, and it had three experiments in it. So first we were interested whether species diversity and genetic diversity within the dominant species could independently influence primary productivity. So for one experiment, we manipulated genetic diversity just within the dominant, Ammophila, and then in a second experiment, we manipulated species diversity. So that included a range of native species that are native to the dune ecosystem. And then in another experiment, Um, we were interested in how species diversity and genetic diversity could interact. So we factorially manipulated both species diversity and genetic diversity within the dominant species. Then to measure primary productivity, we just went out and measured the plants and used allometric equations to get biomass estimates. Right. So so allometric equations is just sort of a... So that's a non-destructive way of sort of estimating... Yeah, yeah. So we were doing this in a national park as a way to restore the... The last thing we wanted to do was to to cut down all of our plants to weigh them for biomass. If you could sum up your your main findings, uh, most important findings, or finding possibly, uh, and a few bullet points, what, what would they be? 
Well, first we found that independently, neither species diversity nor genetic diversity within the dominant influenced primary productivity, which we thought was kind of interesting. But, but then we found that when we planted them together, that genetic diversity within the dominant modified the effect of species diversity on primary productivity. Mm. And it did this by um, when there were high levels of genetic diversity within the dominant, that's when we found that traditional positive relationship between species diversity and primary productivity. So you found that uh, as genetic diversity within the dominant um, species, Ammophila, uh, increased, um, the relationship between species diversity and community-level uh, biomass shifted from negative to positive relationship. Um, so you suggested that the, the negative non-additive effects of diversity drove this pattern. So, so can you explain what are negative non-additive effects um, and how did you test for them? So non-additive effects, the way we define them, we just mean that the individuals are doing something different in polyculture, so in diverse communities, relative to monoculture. So a negative non-additive effect would just mean that they're doing worse than what we expect from how they're growing in monoculture. Okay. And to test that, we have monocultures of each genotype of Ammophila that we had and each species. And then we use Monte Carlo simulations where we grabbed values from those monocultures to construct artificial communities in the computer that matched in composition to what our actual experimental communities were. Mm -hmm. Then we could create a histogram of the expected response and compare that to what we actually found in the experiment. So when we found the negative non-additive effects, the, the mean for each community was lower than what was expected based on those monoculture values. Mm -hmm. And that could be driven by either direct or indirect effects of the diverse community, so that the plants could be competing more strongly in diverse communities, or they could do something like attract herbivores, above ground or below ground herbivores, or, or pathogens in diverse communities, but we don't know. So you sort of manipulated um, genetic diversity within one particular species, the Ammophila. Uh, do you think you would find different results, same results, with, if you used a different dominant species? You know, that, that's a really interesting question. So Ammophila is an ecosystem engineer. Um, we don't really know how the ecosystem would develop if Ammophila wasn't around. So, it, you know, it's a really important species. So maybe if we manipulated genetic diversity in a species that wasn't as dominant or didn't have such a big effect on the overall community, then we wouldn't find this effect of genetic diversity on species diversity. But at the same time, I was really sort of interested in the result because when you look at the Ammophila, you don't notice this great amount of intraspecific variability. I mean, our populations did differ, but it's not like you could look at one plant and know which population it came from. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that it doesn't differ in some really fundamentally important way. Obviously, they do, but, but maybe a species that had sort of greater intraspecific phenotypic variability, you might find a stronger effect of diversity. So, so I guess sort of to sum up is it's really hard to tell. I can think of scenarios where you could expect bigger effects or less effects or no effects. It seems like there could be some restoration uh, implications for, uh, your, for your findings. Do you think, um, how could restoration practitioners, you know, use the, the, what you found in this paper? So it, I think that that's a particularly interesting question because of the way that people generally restore the sand dunes. Mm -hmm. 
So right now, typically, restoration practices consist of planting one genotype of the dominant species, Ammophila. Um, certainly, our results suggest that it's important to think about both species diversity and genetic diversity within dominant species for restoring these ecosystem function. So it seems like a really simple thing that people could do is just go out and collect a wider range of genotypes of the dominant species and other species in their restoration plantings. How general do you think uh, these results are? We sort of touched on that with, uh, you know, if you chose a different, um, you know, species to manipulate genetic diversity. Um, in, in what cases uh, would you expect to th see the same or different patterns? Yeah, so I, th I think that the general pattern is that we might be able to expect that genetic diversity is more important than maybe we've traditionally thought. Mm -hmm. Um, this is probably particularly true for systems that have a dominant species like the Ammophila. Mm -hmm. um, in more complicated systems, you might find something like the effects of genetic diversity are so diffuse that you don't see such a strong effect, strong mediating effect of genetic diversity on species diversity relationships. What comes to mind for me is something like, you know, desert ecosystems where you have creosote sort of, you know, just covering the landscape or uh, the, the, you know, the landscapes in Africa where, where uh, Todd Palmer and, and most Stanton work. Um, we have that single species of acacia. Um, are, those, are those the sorts of things that come to mind to you? Yeah, definitely. Or, or, you know, even maybe slightly more complicated ecosystems like Greg Kretzinger did work on goldenrod in old fields. So it might mm -hmm. be interesting to go in old fields where goldenrod's dominant to see if you find some of the genetic diversity, species diversity effects. Uh, so do you, do you plan to build on, on the research in this paper? And, and if so, how, how would you do that? Um, so we're doing a couple of different things along those lines. So first of all, we're continuing to monitor how um, diversity influences primary productivity. And the reason why we're interested in that is to see if the effect of diversity changes through time or if certain non-additive effects get stronger, if we start to see positive non-additive effects of diversity. And something else we're doing that you kind of touched on earlier was we're, we're also monitoring other responses. And we're doing that for a couple of reasons. First is to get a more holistic view of how diversity influences ecosystems. But the other reason why we're doing that is so maybe we can start to develop some hypotheses for what mechanisms might actually be driving these diversity effects. Mm -hmm. So we're measuring things like the arthropod community and um, soil microbial community diversity. With respect to this, your particular paper uh, in the journal, what do you, what do you think um, people will take away from this paper? Well, what I, what I really hope it does is it makes people really excited about interspecific diversity. Um, I've already mentioned that I think it's, it's probably more important than we traditionally give it credit for. But I think that there's still a lot of work that needs to be done, especially looking for these generalities. Like, when can we expect genetic diversity to have these really big effects? And do we expect it specifically for some species more than others? I tend to think that it's probably more important for dominant species, but I could completely be wrong. It could be really important in, in other systems as well. What was the most um, challenging part of the study for you? Um, definitely the, the scale of the study. So we had... 160 plots and over 3,000 individual plants. So it, it was a pretty big deal to go out there and measure every single plant for the allometric equations. 
Mm -hmm. um, thankfully, I had a whole lot of help doing it. I had some great undergrads who volunteered for me for the summer. My family helped. My grandma was staying on the sand dunes helping me record data when I really needed help. Um, <laughs> I also had a lot of help from the community because mm -hmm. they're really... They're really interested in conserving nature, and they're really happy to have the national park there. So without all that help, there's absolutely no way I could have done it. So, so do you have any interesting um, stories from the field or lab, anything interesting that happened? Or, or even, if not that, maybe like an anecdote um, from just the time doing your research about the field of research you're in? The most exciting thing that happened was we got a private air show. Huh. <laughs> so... The, the larger communities along the lakeshore usually have an air show every year, and I guess there were some jets that were flying up north to Traverse City or, or something, and we waved at them. They were flying pretty low down to the shore, and they saw us, and they started doing all these tricks in the air, and it, I don't know. This is kind of a nice little treat, something you don't usually expect to see in a day of field work. We have been speaking with Carrie Crawford of Washington University in St. Louis. For the Journal of Ecology podcast, I'm Scott Chamberlain.